Hey, thanks for joining us today on the For the Bible Tells Me So podcast. My name is Riley. I'm so glad you're here. Right now, you're jumping into a series with us called Blessings Behind Bars. That's right, Blessings Behind Bars. What we're doing in this series is we're taking a look at an old prison letter. This is the prison letter called Philippians, and it was written by the Apostle Paul. He was in prison behind bars, and he was writing to the Philippian church who was suffering, and his whole point through this whole letter was to tell the Philippian church, hey, have heart, have joy. Why? Because even through your suffering, you can experience fullness of life through relationship with Jesus. And so this ancient letter, man, it had a word for the Philippian church. Then it's got a word for our church today, and uh, we're going to dive into it right now. Here's today's text. We're looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says this, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I recently heard an interview with Jim Carrey, the great Jim Carrey, and in this interview called I Needed Color, which is a YouTube like seven minute video, Jim Carrey's interviewed about his acting life and more importantly, his painting life. I don't know if you know this, but Jim Carrey's like a wild painter. And the interviewer looks at Jim Carrey in this interview and says, Jim, to you, what does it mean to be an artist? And Jim Carrey had this really great answer. He said, you know, an artist, anybody can be an artist. All someone has to do to be an artist is allow their inner being to come outside of themselves and become an outward reality. And what he was referring to was kind of taking the emotions, the stories, the perspectives, the aches and pains from his life, pulling them out and throwing them onto a canvas to kind of make sense of what he was going through and to hopefully help someone else in their life. And I was thinking about that and I was thinking, you know, I feel like there's some kind of parallel here between Jim Carrey's definition of an artist and the Apostle Paul's desire for Christians to live out their lives. You see, the Apostle Paul had this desire that the church would receive ministry from God into their lives, that as they receive that ministry, that they would be transformed inside of their bodies, and that as they're transformed, then their inner being would be transformed, and as they allow themselves to live out what's going on inside of them, they could actually make what's happening, the the love and the compassion and the empathy, all of that to come out and to be a real representation of God's love in this world to the people around them. And so in that way, I feel like Jim Carrey was really onto something. He was 
talking about what it means to be an artist, but when we look at it from a biblical perspective, we're seeing, man, this is actually a description of the Christian life, that we would be people who allow our inner lives that are transformed by Jesus to come out and make outward realities of God's love in our communities. So when we get to the book of Philippians, we see that Paul has this vision for the church to live in this way. But how does it begin? What what does this ministry from God really look like inside of us? Because as believers, we believe that God's doing ministry to us and that he is doing the work inside of us. We don't believe that we can change ourselves necessarily, make ourselves better before God, but through the ministry of the Spirit in our lives, we can become more like Jesus through this process of sanctification. So how does it look? Well, Paul talks about it here in verse 1. He says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Now, at first glance, it may look like Paul's wondering, is there any encouragement in Christ? Is there any comfort from love? Is there any participation in the Spirit? But when we take a deeper look, what we see is that Paul's not asking a question. He's actually speaking in rhetoric. This whole chapter that we're kind of going to be going through over the next few weeks is all a poem. It's a song. Paul actually literally changes the way that he's writing for this particular chapter to make a point, to drive home some certain values into the Christian's mind. And so right here, Paul isn't asking if there's any encouragement, if there's any participation in the Spirit. Instead, because he's speaking in rhetoric, he's saying, because there is so much encouragement, because there is so much participation, he's reaffirming that there is this ministry happening by Christ, by the Spirit. And what we'll see here in a moment is by God the Father. There's actually a theologian that I was reading earlier this week. His name is Gordon Fee. And he says this about Paul's intro right here. He says, These clauses very likely also reflect an intentional Trinitarian substructure. Now, what does that mean for us? Basically, all he's saying is that Paul here. He's not just trying to butter up the Philippians to do the work that he's going to be calling them to do here in a moment. Instead, he's trying to describe to them a very real reality. He's trying to tell them what's happening. He's saying, look, there is a threefold front on your life. There is ministry coming at you from three different sides. It's coming from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We see that Paul is saying there's encouragement in Christ. There's participation in the Spirit. And we don't read about God the Father here, but it's implied any comfort and love that these are fatherly characteristics. Paul here is just trying to say, look, there's some ministry going on inside of you that you may not even be aware of, but it's happening. The Spirit, the Son, the Father, they are getting at you right now. Why is that a big deal? That's a big deal because what Paul is about to call the Philippians into is something that they could not do 
just themselves. They needed to have the full ministry of God's working in their lives to do what he was going to call them to do. And thank God that he was working in this way. Now, what was it that Paul is calling the Philippians to do? In verses 2 through 4, he says this, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, when we read this at first glance, it feels like Paul is just giving this running to-do list, like a chores list almost of what to do to make him happy. But that's just a very superficial looking at this passage. Paul's actually trying to lay out a huge Christian concept here in these verses, and that's this, that Christian unity is based on humility and self-sacrifice. Christian unity is based on humility. What is humility? Humility is the action of valuing others above yourself. And it's also based on self-sacrifice, which is the action of serving others above yourself. See, there's this idea within Christian unity that we would be people who pursue unity by valuing others above ourselves and serving others above ourselves. The thing to note here is that unity isn't just kind of qualified by people sharing the same interests or being in the same family or going to the same school, having the same background, what have you. Like all that stuff is good and I think that we can make some great friendships off of those things. But what Paul is talking about here is something way deeper, way deeper. Paul's saying that, man, unity isn't just sharing with each other. Rather, it's giving to each other of ourselves. Paul's talking about something that requires not just a shared attitude, but a giving mindset towards one another. Now, another thing to note here is that Paul is going to be using some different language and some different terminology that really speaks to how much he believes unity is important for the church. Now, it's kind of lost on us a little bit here in the English translations, so I'll try to break that down a little bit as we're going, but I just want you to know that Paul is shifting the way he's talking in this chapter for a reason. He's using different language for a reason. He's trying to make a big deal about unity. And I believe that he's trying to do that because he knows that we as people do not live unified naturally. We oftentimes look out for our own interests above the interests of others. We become so isolated in so many ways, so insular, so introspective, so just all about ourselves that we forget to look at other people. And Paul's making a very clear distinction. Look, you are a citizen of heaven. You're not just a citizen of Philippi, 
but you are a child in the kingdom of God, and your values are going to be different than that of the Roman guard and government. You're going to be ruled by the love and compassion of God the Father. You're going to look to other people and care for them, even if it means that you need to submit your cares to God, and even if that means that your cares aren't listened to right now. And we'll get a little bit more into that here in a little bit about what Paul is really trying to get at. What I want you to know is that this is a big deal. Paul says, complete my joy. This is what's going to make him the happiest pastor on the planet, okay? So what does he want them to do? He wants them to have a few different attitudes. He wants them to perform a few different actions. Let's talk about these first attitudes. There's three that we're going to look at here. The first one is this. He wants them to share the same mind. Now, over the past couple weeks, we've read that Paul has talked about having one mind, the same mind, and that's all good, you know, and we've, we've kind of hashed it out already, but I've got to hash it out again because this is so crazy important. Paul here, he's saying that, you know, this idea of a same mind, maybe a, a way to say it is that he's trying to emphasize to the Philippians that they should share an interest and decisions at the same time. Share interests and decisions at the same time. We gotta be working through things together. You gotta be hashing out conversations so that we can make decisions together. Now, one thing to note here is that Paul, when he says have the same mind, he really is talking about people with different interests and different perspectives coming together and working towards agreement, loving one another, and moving forward in life together. He's not talking about having just a uniformity to the way that we all think. He's not looking for just a homogenous kind of Christian culture, a whole row of robots who believe not only just the same things about Jesus, but believe the same things about secondary things, tertiary things, and just interests. He's not looking for everybody to look the same talk the same, have the same backgrounds and all that kind of stuff, that would be so contradictory actually to the mission of the church. Instead, his whole thing is that, man, we want to be a people who are working towards agreement when we have differences and not division, which let me tell you is a word for us in 2020, man. This letter is thousands of years old, but yo, November of 2020 is coming up. The election is coming up, and this is a time that has been already so crazy turbulent. We have Christians on different sides of the political spectrum who believe maybe differently from each other, and rather than trying to understand and work together and demonstrate Christian love towards one another, we're just seeing people like tear each other down in the comments section. I mean, YouTube has been brutal. Instagram has been brutal. I won't even touch Twitter, man. It is just so crazy out there. And it's all because so many of us, myself included a lot of times, we start judging each other because of our different interests. Before we see the person, we see their perspectives and start judging and dividing and creating walls between each other. But Paul's saying here, look, even if you got differences, 
come together, work towards the good of one another for the gospel, for the kingdom of God. So he says, have the same mind and have the same love too. He says, have the same love. A way to translate this is to love alike, have a similar kind of love. And Paul's basically just trying to underline the idea that love should be the main objective of every person within the community of God. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to Christians who are bitter, who are angry, who want to tear things down, who are just judgmental. It makes me so sad because Paul's saying, look, the main thing, dude, is the main thing is have the same mind, have the same love. And Paul here, you know, he's not just talking about affectionate love, although affectionate love is good. We read in scripture that Jesus had an affection for people and Paul wanted to show the affection of Christ to the people in his life. So having compassion, a tender heart, loving support, throwing an arm around one another when it's not COVID season is all good. We're about affection. But the love that Paul is talking about here is more than just affection. It's sacrificial. It's self-sacrificial. He's talking about having the same love for one another as Christ had for the church. He's talking about, man, lay down your life for one another. Have the same mind, have the same love, and be in full accord and of one mind is our third point here. And basically, Paul's kind of bringing it back to having the same mind. But he doesn't. he does it in a unique way here because... Like I mentioned earlier, Paul's going to be using some language that would demonstrate to us that he's trying to make a big deal about a certain point. And this is one of those points. It looks like normal English to us, but in the Greek, this phrase for full accord and of one mind, it was like a brand new phrase. Like nobody had used it in scripture or outside of scripture. It sounds like Paul just kind of grabbed some ideas some concepts and some words, threw them together to really highlight this idea of being together always. One scholar summarized it like this, acting together as one person. Now, doesn't that sound amazing? Wouldn't you love to be of the same mind, be of the same love, be of full accord with one another and of one mind. It sounds amazing, right? For me, sometimes, if I'm just being totally honest, it kind of sounds too good to be true. But let me tell you, I'm an optimist, man. I believe that God is on the move and that he is trying to work out these mindsets in his people. And I believe he's not done with the church yet, that he wants to continue to move inside of his church and produce this kind of love for the people in the community of God. We don't always see it, right? Especially on social media or in conversations we have sometimes, but man, God is doing it and he's working it out. But here are some ways that Paul wants to see this actually take place within the church. He gives them a few commands, four things he wants them to do here. I'm sorry, three things. One, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Just don't do it. Um, this is a phrase that Paul used specifically right here. It's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. 
Um, but it is used outside of scripture. Um, Aristotle, okay? Aristotle wrote this book called Politico. And uh, if you're a philosophy major, maybe you've read this or heard about it. But Aristotle uses the phrase selfish ambition in Politico to describe some of the beginnings, the rumblings of war. And this is what he says. He says that one cause of war is due to the selfish ambition of politicians and people in power. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Paul is talking about this attitude that is divisive, that starts wars, that brings death and kills everything in his past. He's like, dude, just have nothing to do with this selfish ambition or any of this conceit. Paul knew that rivalry is guaranteed to destroy unity. Just don't do it. But one thing to note here is that Paul isn't, a, isn't against ambition. I mean, I think that he'd be all about godly ambition. I would actually argue that this whole passage, this letter that we're reading, Paul has this godly ambition to help see the church through to being joyful, to worshiping God. So there's there's a godly ambition. He's saying, don't give in to the selfish ambition. When it's all geared towards yourself, your gain, what you want, in order to defeat what you hate, what you don't like, man, that's when things get really, really bad. Just don't do anything from that place. But then he says on the positive side, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Now, this is super cool because Paul here, he's looking at the word humility, okay? A word that you and I are familiar with, and he's taking it and he's placing a ton of value on it. What he's saying is that in humility, that from that place, that's when you're then going to count others more significant than yourselves. Why is this important? Well, back in Paul's day, humility was not an attribute that anybody wanted to demonstrate in their lives. It was seen as soft. It was seen as a, a perspective on the world that would get you hurt. Like, how would you be able to grow your brand or grow your military or get as many wives as you could? Whatever it might have been, you know, whatever they were thinking back then. How could you do that if you weren't trying to get what's yours? And Paul says here, man, that kind of attitude just has no place within the people of God. He says, instead, we need to take up this attribute that may be looked down on in society, but that's actually held to high regard within the kingdom of God. He says, boy, you better strap on humility because I want you to use that humility to count others more significant than yourselves. Paul knew that the opposite of humility, pride, would be self-focused, but that humility is others-focused. And Paul knew that pride, man, is just a mirror. It just reflects ourselves back and forth to ourselves. But humility, that's a window, man. That's a window that allows you to shift the perspective from yourself towards the people right in front of you. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And he takes it a bit farther than that. Don't just count others more significant than yourselves, but 
let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. I love this encouragement. I got to take a moment on here. This is our last point for um, the message. Paul says here first, let each of you look not only to his own interests, okay? Paul knew that it would be irresponsible for people to just only operate from a place of looking out at others. He's like, look, you got to take care of yourself to a degree, right? You got to make sure you're healthy, that you're stable. I mean, if you're only looking to others and not taking care of yourself, you wouldn't eat, you wouldn't sleep, you wouldn't work, you wouldn't take care of the people in your home, you wouldn't take care of yourself, you would die. You would not be able to be humble anymore because you would be gone from existence. He's like, you got to take care of yourself, man. You got to pay your bills. You got to be a good citizen, a good spouse, you know, a good roommate. You got to do those things, okay? So look out for your own interests, but don't look only for your own interests, okay? Also look to the interests of others. And I love this. Paul just knew that, man, if we look at our own interests only, then we're missing out on the opportunity to look at other people and their interests and to serve them. Now, when Paul's talking about interests, he's not just saying like, hey, look out for that person's like preference in food. Like if you want to get in and out and your bud wants to get some pizza, Paul's not just saying, hey, man, take a back seat. Just get pizza. Your buddy wants some pizza, okay? It's not that kind of interest, okay? What Paul is talking about here is something deeper than just what we kind of just know as general interests. What Paul is getting at here is something much more deep inside the heart of every human being. He's saying, look to the desires. Look to the core interests. Look to the life that this person next to you wants to live. Hold on to that. Look at that and help people pursue that desire, that interest, that calling in their lives. Another scholar, Gerald Hawthorne, said this. He said, Paul here is advocating that his readers fix their gaze on the good points of Christians. Just side note, the good points, not the bad points. That's a word for someone right now. I think it's probably a word for me, maybe for you too, but gaze on the good points of other Christians. And he also says, with the negative warning that the Philippians should not be so preoccupied with their own concerns and the cultivation of their own spiritual experiences that they fail to see what should be emulated in others. Yo, this is a big deal right here, okay? I need you to just... Listen with me for a moment. What this author is getting at, I think, is really the heart of what Paul is trying to say. And that's this, that we all have this bent towards satisfying ourselves, and not just like in a sinful way, but even in a spiritual way. So much so that we forget to look to other people and what God wants to do in their lives, and to encourage them in what God's called them to do. We just get so caught up with our own selves that we forget to do that. But what Paul is saying here is, look, look not only to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. Don't just think about your own spiritual experience. Think about the spiritual experience of others as well. 
Think about what God would want to do in their life. Now, I'm making a big deal about this for a moment because I believe that this one sentence, this is just me, if I can just be honest with you. I believe that if the church, man, if the church took this command and really held on to it, it would blow up the church. It would blow up communities. Not in a bad way. I just mean that it would cause the church to explode with love and purpose and God-glorifying action. Why do I mean that? Because what Paul is getting at here is, man, if you will look at someone and if you have a God-sized vision for that person's life, and if you speak into that person's life words of faith and correction and knowledge and discernment, if you do that, man, the, the, the action that the Holy Spirit is going to have through those words and that conversation into that person's life, man, it is going to be this unbridled action. It is going to fuel this person to really live out what God has put inside of them to do. Imagine that. Imagine that you went to a small group, or you went to church, or you just met up with a Christian friend. And imagine, you know, you're talking, and imagine that you're starting to become a little bit vulnerable. You're starting to talk about, man, you want to go to this school for these reasons, or you want to be with this person for these reasons. You want to do this with your life for whatever reason. And if your friend just says, oh, man, that sounds cool. Let me tell you about what I want to do. And they just totally ignore what you're trying to say. Doesn't that hurt? I know for me, that's like, for me, that's one of the most heartbreaking moments. If, if I'm starting to bare my soul to someone and it's just not really received, it's just kind of looked over, it hurts, man. Maybe you're more tough than I am. Hey, respect to you if you are. But if you got a little bit of a soft heart, like your boy right here, your pastor right here, then you know that hurts. I think what Paul is saying here is, man, as we bear our souls to one another, as we share our interests, our life goals and plans, if we take the moment to hear someone and to speak life into those parts of who we are, man, we'll see some amazing God stuff happen in their lives. If I can just be vulnerable with you for a second, I know you're not going to talk to me because this is a podcast format. I get that, but I'm still just, whew, I'm going to go out on a limb and just be a little bit more vulnerable with you right now, okay? When I was growing up, I was just, I feel like so nervous all the time. I grew up without a dad. I had a really loving mom and a really rad brother who I still have, uh, but I just remember feeling like I had to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders, like the joy of my brother and my mom on my shoulders, and nobody put that on me, just something I kind of took on. I think it might be a the oldest child kind of syndrome, whatever it might be. Anyways, I'm better now, but let's just talk about this for a moment. I just remember being younger and wishing that an older man would look at me and say, Riley, you got this, bro. You're strong. There's a lion inside of you. Speak with your chest. Be loving. Be courageous. Be confident. You don't have to feel weighed down by the weight of this world. Instead, you can overcome what you feel like is burdening you. I wish that somebody would have said that to me. Never got that. 
Never received that. I did receive so much love, though, from the people in my church and my family. I don't want to dismiss that at all. But I just felt like I would love for someone to see my interests and just affirm the heck out of them and just give me almost like a kick in the butt in the right direction. I don't know if you can relate to that. And I remember kind of getting that later on in my life through some older men, which I will seriously like hold on to for the rest of my life. It's some of the stuff that has really reignited my faith in this past year is some of those conversations I've had and some of those things I've heard from pastors and leaders and men in my life. But all I'm really trying to say is that we all have these interests and we all have things that are hanging us up and pursuing those interests. And man, we need the people of God to speak life into each other. We just can't do this alone. I, I hope you know that right now, that you just can't do it alone. That's not to make you feel bad. It's to hopefully help you be reinvigorated with the love for the church. Like These are your people that we're talking about. God is calling you to love and care for the interests and to speak life into the people around you. And God is calling those people to do the same to you. And I just want to encourage you. I don't know if you've received that word from an older man or an older woman or somebody who you really crave it from. I don't know if that's been the thing that's really holding you back in your Christian life is having someone say, hey, you got this. Let's go. I'm with you. I got your back. You're not alone in this. I don't know if you're missing that kind of conversation. If you are, I just want to remind you that God's word is constantly with you, speaking that affirmation, speaking that boldness and that confidence into your life. I know for me, this has been a huge part of my life. And maybe this is different for you, but when I've been craving that voice of comfort and that voice that pushes me out into the unknown with confidence, I may not receive that from another person in this life. I may not receive that from the body of Christ. Like we may not be operating in that state of flow where we're loving each other, speaking life into each other, and really for each other and all that God has put in front of us. But believe this, man, God's word has done that ministry in my life in a hard way, in a big way, in a way that says, man, even if I don't get that kind of love from the people in the church, I can still get it from God, and that will fuel me to give that love to the people around me. There's no excuse for us to not take any encouragement from Christ, to not take any comfort from the Spirit, to not take any love or sympathy from God the Father, because it's all in God's Word. He speaks life over you, and I would pray that you would Come to God's word with humility, that you take your eyes off of yourself, place them onto God's word, that you would receive with a humble attitude what God may want to say to you, that you would take that encouragement, let it transform you, and let it cause you to pour out love in ways that you've never poured out before, that you allow it to cause you to have this amazing God-sized vision for the people in your life. So you can see someone who's hurting and say, hey, 
this is not who you are. You can see somebody making a mistake and say, that's not who you've been made to be. You've been made to be someone who's courageous, bold, without sin. Like you are called to live a life like Jesus. And as you fall and as you stumble, I'm with you. We've been called to be those people. I've said it before already, but I'm just going to say it again. We've been called to be those voices of faith. Paul knows it's essential to the life of the church. Be of same mind. Be of one mind. Consider the interests of others. And in this way, we are demonstrating the love of Jesus. This is glory to him. Harmony is essential for Christian community, like we've been talking about. But it's also an effective effort to defend the gospel of Jesus. As we live these lives together, as we pursue love, as we speak life into each other, that's going to build up the church, but it's also going to show the people around us that God's love is more powerful than any other force in this world. And that even the things that look like that they could divide us, that they won't even divide us. That we'll see each other, we'll hear each other, and even when we have differing opinions, we'll love one another, we'll still fight for that same mind. And in that, by not dividing, instead by unifying, that is a testimony to the world of the unifying power of God's Spirit. Whoo, let me tell you. This is some good stuff of the Christian faith. And don't let another day pass by where you don't take the chance to be built up yourself from God's word, to receive that encouragement from Christ, to receive that participation in the spirit, that love and sympathy from God. Don't let another day pass by without you taking advantage of that. And don't let another day come pass by where you don't look to somebody in your life and speak truth into their interests. You guys, I love you. I'm praying for you that you have a blessed week and that you go out in the power and in the might of God's spirit. We'll see you next week. Thanks for being here today. Come back next Tuesday for a new episode here of the For the Bible Tells Me So podcast. Check the show notes for info about following and interacting with the young adult ministry throughout the week during Shelter in Place. We hope to see you soon.